0: What's up everybody? Welcome back to Gadget Reason Radio and episode 2 of The Tech Perspective. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing the popularity and the reasons why I think the Apple AirPods have continued to be so successful. The upcoming release that's now just a few short weeks away of the Xbox One X and what kind of implications it might have on the gaming industry. And maybe take a look at a few of the reasons why you might or might not care about putting it on your wish list of future tech products you might want to buy or or have someone else buy for you and we will take a look at the recent news that the essential phone is receiving a 200 dollars price drop and what kind of impact i think that makes on the overall value proposition for the essential phone as a product And then lastly, I wanted to talk a little bit about Microsoft's recent announcement of the Surface Book 2 and give you guys my thoughts and perspective on how I think it fits into uh, the current crop of sort of top-tier mobile computing devices and where I think it fits into, you know, my sort of wish list. So let's go ahead and get started with Episode 2 of The Tech Perspective on this Tuesday, October 24th, 2017. So, kicking things off today i wanted to talk about the apple airpods for just a minute so the apple airpods are an interesting product for me because you know when they were first announced they they weren't really met with a whole lot of enthusiasm you know they they looked very similar to the the earpods that have been getting shipped with uh ipods and and apple products for quite a few years um, and that design was not exactly something that uh, everybody universally loved in the first place right you know they they were known to kind of fall out of your ears relatively easily they were um, you know the kind of the ear pod that they are or or you know the type of earbud that they are is is in that they don't go down into your ear canal they just kind of sit and rest gently on the edge of your earlobe now Um, When you combine that with the fact that the the audio quality for the earpods was never anything to to get overly enthusiastic about it was just something that was good to use in a pinch and uh, Obviously being that Apple products were so incredibly popular um, they became probably one of the most popular headphones that you would see if you were to go to an airport or train station or college campus just because they came with uh, a lot of the, the products that were the most popular of the time so um when the the airpods were announced you know uh i kind of was just i guess cautiously optimistic and uh you know there were some cool tech behind the products like the motion sensors and proximity sensors and siri integration and all kinds of other things that were great if you were an apple user but you know in terms of just the overall innovative side of things in terms of audio engineering there was really nothing that stood out now having said that after getting my hands on the Apple AirPods and sort of integrating them into my my daily activities, one thing became quickly uh, very obvious to me. And it's something that I really didn't, I didn't really notice. I mean, looking back on it, it's very obvious, but at the time I just really never gave much thought to it. And that is the fact that a lot can be said for a product being extremely easy to use, especially something like a pair of headphones or earbuds, something that you may be in situations where you constantly have to take them in and out of your ears. And I think that when I look back on it, you know, at the time when, when the AirPods first came out, I was pretty um, pretty much in love with my Jbird X2 Bluetooth uh, earbuds. And they were great sound quality. They had a really nice, tight, isolated feel in your ear canal, so they blocked out most ambient noise. Um, they, they wouldn't fall out in a workout or a run or anything you were doing, um, and you know they were just really good Bluetooth uh, earbuds. The problem looking back on it that I, that I now remember is that uh, two things. Number one, they're a little bit difficult. Any kind of earbud that you have to put into your ear canal is a little bit more difficult to... Um, to put in and put on and take off, right? So if you look at the instructions for the Jaybird X2s, it's actually quite funny. They they actually... Uh, tell you to pull back your earlobe with one hand and then insert the earbud into your ear canal, then hold it for three to five seconds while the tip expands and sort of locks into place. And there's this whole sort of routine that has to happen. So now imagine that you're, you know, in the middle of working out or maybe you're walking into the grocery store or walking up to the uh, the checkout counter and someone wants to talk to you and just pull them out. Um, now you have to go through that whole process to put them back in. So there was many times where i would just because i was doing something quick and easy i would just grab my earpods that came with my iphone or another pair of headphones that i had that were more simple to put on and use those instead and what i have found in the time that i've been using the the airpods is that because of their design and because they just rest on your ear you know yes you're making a compromise you don't get the quite the uh, the seal and the you get a lot more ambient noise leaking in and they're not quite as loud as they might be if they were uh, in-ear canal type earbuds but they're incredibly easy to put on and take off and so for that reason i probably put them in and out of my ears 50 to 100 times a day um, i use my apple airpods all the time and that in itself kind of makes a pretty good case for why they're so popular because they're familiar. People have been using ear pods for a long time. They've gotten used to them. Um, Yes, they have some shortcomings, but people are just comfortable with them. Now, when you add in the fact that you now have something that you're used to, something that's pretty familiar, pretty comfortable, and now has the ability to be completely wireless, so no wire connecting the two sides to your head, you can kind of see why um, they might be popular with people that are already re- readily familiar with Apple products and with uh, you know, with Apple's EarPods. Now, one of the things that kind of coincides with that, uh, and the fact that you constantly use them throughout the day, then has to be battery life, right? So this product would not work or would not be um, as pleasant to use if you constantly had to stress about the battery life. And Apple, as they often do, came up with a pretty elegant, simple solution um, that seems really obvious and easy, but they just did it in that typical Apple way. They took uh, the idea of, well, these things are very small, we're gonna have to find a way to store them so people don't lose them, and said, let's just build a case that has a built-in battery charger so that every time people take them out of their ears and put them away for 10 minutes, the ear the AirPods are constantly getting a recharge. Now, you know, it's, it's a simple, easy solution. It seems really obvious, but at the same time, it's very seamless and so throughout the day if i take my my airpods out of my ears you know and back in 50 times i have gone in many cases about two to three days at a time without ever having to even plug in the the actual charging case to my airpods which means that over a two to three day period of time i'm using my airpods for literally tens to tens of 20 you know 10 to 20 hours of usage and without ever having to even give the thought of a battery a second thought so um i can honestly tell you that i never even think about my airpods as being a battery-powered device they just work all the time the way they're supposed to and i've never once picked them up to use them and and thought oh crap the battery's dead so that is another reason why i think people are drawn to these now Aside from the comfortability and the battery life, I think another thing that people find useful and, and sort of um, enjoy about the AirPods is the fact that if you're an Apple user and you have multiple Apple products, you know, Apple created this sort of uh, one, one-touch one pairing solution. So you, you pair them via Bluetooth to your iPhone, and now they are all synced through iCloud to all your other Apple products. And you can switch seamlessly between all of them extremely easily. So on any given day, I might use my AirPods with my iPhone throughout the day, my iPad uh, back and forth between the two, and then at some point I may sit down at my, my iMac and I might just switch to listening to something on my iMac via my AirPods. And then in the evening when my wife wants to sleep and I'm still trying to watch TV and we're in bed, I might just tell my, uh, my Apple TV to switch to sending out the audio to my AirPods. So it's incredibly easy. You don't have to unpair and repair it to multiple devices. There's no searching and syncing and all that. It just all happens incredibly fast and seamlessly, and it makes for pretty good experience. Now, with all that being said, let's talk about audio quality for just a second. I consider myself to be somewhat of a, I wouldn't say I'm an audiophile, but you know, I have very expensive headphones. I I grew up with a pretty good appreciation for good sound. And so I I definitely can hear the difference between, you know, really good um, flat, neutral sounding Headphones or or earbuds and really crappy ones. And you know the AirPods are not the best. They're not going to win any audio engineering awards for great sound. But they do sound slightly, you know, if if even just a a little tiny bit better than the original AirPods. And they definitely, you know, they sound good. They don't sound terrible. They're not so bad that it would overshadow all of the other things that I've already mentioned that make them so great to use. Now, um, in terms of the one issue that I've typically had with the earpods over the years, which is the fact that they do have a tendency to fall out relatively easy. There's a really cheap and easy fix for that, that I would highly recommend to anybody if I were to you know, recommend purchasing the AirPods. And that is the ear buddies, um, silicone ear hooks. They're they're like 9.99 for two pairs. Uh, you can get them on Amazon. They uh, slip very easily into or, or around the the uh, AirPods, and basically it gives them a nice rubber grippy surface instead of the slick plastic feeling um, body of the AirPods, which makes them just in itself stick better in your ear. And then they have the little ear hook that goes up into the top of your ear canal, like you've seen in other uh, other Bluetooth or even other ear earbuds, and it makes them so much more secure. I've, I've had them in my ears riding on my boosted board at 25 miles an hour. Uh, I've had them in my ears on a run, a workout, uh, even laying in bed on my pillow. They don't push out of my ears anymore. They're incredibly easy to pop on and off and they make your uh, your AirPods just a little bit louder because they do seal out a little bit more of that ambient sound. So definitely something I'd recommend to anybody looking to get a pair of Air- AirPods. Now, the the final question of course that everybody wants to know when talking about tech products is are they worth it and that's you know a pretty easy uh i think it's a pretty easy question to answer and it comes down to number one are you an avid apple user do you already use a lot of apple products if the answer is no then i would say for 160 dollars, you probably have one or two other options to at least consider before purchasing the airpods you could look into something like the jaybird x2s or x3s the jaybird freedoms another decent high-end quality bluetooth headset now the issue would be if you dislike the ear canal you know, the ear canal fitted type earbuds that I mentioned earlier, um, which have a tendency to, you know, produce some ear fatigue. I can only wear my Jaybird X2s or X3s for about an hour at most before they start to really irritate my ear canal and I have to take them out. Um, And then even after that, my ear is like irritated for a few hours. So um, for me, that's definitely something to, to consider. If that doesn't bother you, then definitely look into those. The other option, of course, would be uh, Google's newly released or newly announced Google Pixel Buds. Now, the the obvious thing here would be if you're a hardcore Android user or if you're just anti-Apple products, then the Google Pixel Buds might be a great option. Now, one thing to keep in mind about the Pixel Buds is not only do they actually have a wire connecting the right and left, which is kind of uh, I guess it takes a little bit of the magic out for me one of the things that I think is so cool about the uh, the Apple AirPods is that they're that truly wireless solution you know there's no wires involved at all and that may or may not be worth anything to you or you know whatever but I I think it just kind of creates a really cool futuristic feel every time I use them I think man this is amazing that these little things have no wires at all Uh, but the pixel buds do have a wire that connects uh, each side Another thing to keep in mind is that if you go that route, you're not going that route to save any money. The Pixel Buds are still $160. So uh, they're right, priced right in line with the Apple AirPods. So it's definitely not gonna save you any money. So if price is a concern and you don't mind buying Apple products or you are an Apple user and you use a lot of uh, Apple devices, I would say that the the uh, AirPods are absolutely worth the hundred and sixty dollars. Uh, I you know I've gotten so much use out of them that uh, I feel like I would have paid more for them and still um, appreciated them just as much as I do. So that's really the only thing to consider. But uh, that's that's my perspective on why some of the reasons why I think the Apple AirPods have been so successful, even in spite of the fact that they're not necessarily the the greatest. Um, sounding or they don't provide really any innovation in terms of tiny audio quality, in terms of making a small ear earbud sound, you know, better than anything that's ever come before. They're, they're still um, very much the same sound you're used to if you've ever used earpods. but uh, all the other technical advances that they've made, the battery life, and of course, um, the comfortability in my case, all make them very, very much worth the $106 price tag. So moving on to our second topic today, I wanted to talk a little bit about the price drop The price drop on the Essential phone. So um, I still have yet to fully complete my review of the Essential phone. And the reason for that is, is a, there's a couple of reasons. The first is the fact that the Essential phone very much felt incomplete when it first got released. It felt like they were still working on aspects of the software and so for that reason i kind of every time i thought i was ready to start writing up a review uh they would update the phone again and and there'd be a whole other sort of batch of tests i needed to put it through to really see if they had fixed some things and so for that reason i really wanted to give them the time to work out all of the little kinks and of course i would mention that in the review the fact that you know if you were an early adopter that it, it really didn't ship in what i would call a 100 percent complete state but um i i definitely wanted to uh, give them the time to put sort of the best foot forward. Now, a big part of what was going to be in my final review was talking about, I mean, in a lot of ways, the essential phone is an incredible device. Build quality, it's basically got no no equal beyond maybe Apple products. Um, in terms of just about every aspect of the phone are great. The camera is not perfect, and that's probably the one big sore spot but um, in terms of a lot of other things, you know, I would say that it's a great device and it's definitely one of the top tier flagship smartphones of 2017. The one caveat is the price and for the price they were originally asking, uh, it really was pushing it closer into the territory of the the, the Samsung galaxies and and the iPhones. And so for that reason, you know, I was going to essentially maybe take some points off, if you will, for the, the pricing proposition. Now, with the new price drop that Essential just announced, which is a $200 price drop, which now makes the Essential phone $499, um, I could honestly say, without any hesitation, that at 500 bucks, it is probably the number one phone I would recommend to to anybody who's who's looking to spend about five to six hundred dollars. Now, um, the one the one thing I would say is if your number one, you know. Checkbox item on shopping for a new smartphone is the camera quality. I would say you'd have to probably look very closely at the OnePlus 5 um, in the same similar price range because the OnePlus 5's camera is actually better uh, in a lot of ways than the Essential Phone camera. Now, The Essential phone's camera is not terrible. They have improved it quite a bit with their software updates. It still doesn't do... um, It falls well short of a lot of the promises that they were making in terms of what the monochrome camera would do for detail and low light. Um, And it's still a little bit on the slow side in terms of uh, reacting to when you press the shutter button. So all in all, I would say the camera is is probably not going to be the number one reason you'd buy the Essential phone, but outside of that, and, and as long as you don't mind just having a decent camera, but not necessarily the best camera, um, every other aspect of the essential phone puts it far ahead of even the OnePlus 5, in my opinion. So um, so I think that the the huge price drop that they just put on the essential phone is definitely, it definitely makes it a more compelling value proposition. And I think it's totally worth the, the $500 price tag um, with with the build quality and the pure Android experience, and always having the latest versions of Android, um, all those things make it worth it. Um, but again, if if camera is your number one priority, you may want to still steer clear of the Essential Phone. Um, but other than that, I would definitely take a look at it. So um, I'm curious to see how uh, how much of an impact this is going to have on the future sales of the essential phone. Because again, you know they've done no marketing; they went with much more of a grassroots um, approach, trying to sort of. Market this phone towards the the phone geeks, the Android nerds, the people that would already know about this device if it was something that they would be interested in instead of trying to market it to the average consumer. So, that in itself, you know, obviously gave them a much smaller, much more niche market than something like an iPhone or a Galaxy S8. So, um, you know, I don't know how big of an impact this price drop is going to have, but it certainly can't hurt. And uh, I think that if you were on the fence between buying one or two or maybe three other phones, the the price drop might make the uh the decision a little bit a little bit harder or, or easier depending on which side of the fence you're on so that's my thoughts and my perspective on the 200 dollars price drop on the essential phone so if you're interested you can head to um, the essential phone store and buy it directly or you can uh, still get it through sprint here in the united states as well So moving on to another topic that I thought a lot about over the past week or so, I read several articles and it really got me to thinking about the, what kind of place does the Xbox One X have in the current marketplace? Now, you know, one of the things that's been bugging me about the announcement of the One X since, since, you know, way back when it first got unveiled was, you know, I feel like there's a lot of consumers out there that are going to be feeling quite burned by the fact that you know now we've had two mid mid mid-gen upgrades mid mid cycle if you will so typically one of the big selling points or one of the things that i think console dedicated console gamers um really enjoyed and, and that appealed to them was the fact that you have a a guaranteed span of time before you have to buy another expensive piece of hardware, right? So, um, you know, if you're a PC gamer, you know, going in that you're going to be spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars every year, trying to keep up with, uh, you know, whatever software titles were coming out and, and making sure that you had, you know, a computer that could run all the latest, greatest games on, you know, the highest fidelity settings. And, you know, probably now pushing into 4k and, That's fine. That's what PC gamers enjoy. That's what they like to do. Typically speaking, console gamers have really been just the set it and forget it type of crowd. They wanna be able to just, you know, pop in a game and play and not have to think about all this other stuff. Now, you know, Microsoft has not only, not once, but now twice, put consumers of the Xbox brand in a tough position. Because if you bought an original Xbox and you felt kind of burned when not even just a few years later, the Xbox One S came out, And let's say you got over that and you purchased the upgrade. You bought the Xbox One S. Now, not even two years later, you're now being faced with the fact of once again, having an inferior or outdated piece of hardware uh, because Microsoft will now have the Xbox One X available. Now, you know, when it comes to thinking about what exactly are the benefits of the Xbox One X, I think there's, you know, a couple of things that you could look at. Number one, um, you know, there's obviously numerous ways that you can go about measuring power or performance of any piece of computing hardware. But at the end of the day, teraflops is kind of a really nice uh, put a bow on it type of a measurement, right? It's something that we can look at. and We can say, Hey, here's all the different metrics that we take into account. And when you put those all together, here's an easy way to just put a number uh based on overall performance on this piece of hardware and do side by side comparisons right and so with the xbox one x you know microsoft is basically trying to play catch up and surpass what sony has done with the playstation 4 pro now there's an obvious reason why microsoft has felt compelled to keep updating the xbox one hardware and that's because right out of the gate they were pretty far behind performance and uh you know people's expectations when they went head-to-head with the original ps4 so the original xbox one had peak performance of 1.31 teraflops and the xbox one s bumped that up to about 1.4 so it wasn't a huge jump but it was just enough for them to be able to do some variable and dynamic frame rates to kind of push gaming to 4k in some way or another even if it wasn't a true full 4k but the uh the playstation 4 came out of the box at a 1.8 teraflops, so that means that even though Microsoft took the time to update the Xbox One to the One S and try to give it more power, it still didn't even meet the power performance of the original PlayStation 4. But Just to keep things on the safe side, Sony decided to actually come out with their own upgrade with the PlayStation 4 Pro and the the PlayStation 4 Pro has a peak performance of about 4.8 teraflops. So you can see that obviously Microsoft has been playing catch up during this entire life cycle, uh, this this entire generation of gaming consoles, basically since it started. So in comes the xbox one x and it without question uh, puts the ps4 pro in its place you know there's there's no questioning that the power of the xbox one x is incredibly significant at six teraflops now um you know basically if you were to look at pc gaming as an example Uh, To be able to get anywhere near the performance that you're getting out of the Xbox one X You'd be spending well over $1,200 and that's that's probably being conservative if you were to buy all your own parts and get really good deals and build Everything from scratch, you know, you probably still be looking at between twelve and fifteen hundred dollars And that's because graphics cards are expensive and PC components are expensive now Microsoft even though they've come out with a console that's five hundred dollars, which is expensive in console gaming price levels it's certainly a heck of a lot cheaper than what you'd be able to get 4k hdr gaming you know if you were to go the pc route so the real question becomes is 4k gaming and hdr gaming and all the other things that come with the bells and whistles of the graphical fidelity settings that you're going to get from xbox one x titles potentially is that worth uh, people wanting to go out and purchase another uh, another console that still falls under this current generation. So we're not we're not moving up to the next generation of gaming It's still the same basic platform so I think a big a big part of the problem here is going to be seeing if software developers are Convinced that enough people are going to upgrade to the Xbox one X to really uh, to really make their titles adapted for the the new one X platform. So um one problem that you could easily see happening is is that developers put minimal efforts into tweaking their games to have features and and you know improved graphics and all these other things to take advantage of the xbox one x hardware in which case people are going to feel compelled to skip and not buy the xbox one x which is then just going to lead to that sort of vicious vicious cycle right so you know in part we're really relying on the game developers having faith in the Xbox one X platform enough to start really putting work into developing extra features and extra assets for the Xbox one X platform. Um, along with the cost that's already going into making these games for the traditional Xbox one or one S and you know, if they're willing to do that just on blind faith, just on the hope that a lot of people go out and buy the the one X and, and upgrade consoles. So, um, you know i think that i think that a lot of people are going to take the wait and see approach i think that uh, you're gonna to have to wait and see some reviews and we're gonna to have to wait and see just how many titles actually come out with xbox one x uh features added and you know and just kind of see if All of those things fall into place enough to really justify um, another mid cycle upgrade. Now, just to give you guys an idea, there are, you know, there have already been quite a few games announced that have some, in some way or another, have some features that the Xbox One X can take advantage of. Now, um, there is a big, a big difference in how these games are adapted, though. So keep that in mind. Um, The first thing that a game developer can do is simply just increase the game resolution right so actually support the game running in 4k so this would be like the equivalent of on a pc if you were to actually go into your resolution settings and just change the resolution um from you know whatever 1080p to 1440p to to 4k right so so far some of the games that have been announced to take advantage of 4k um is arc survival evolved assassin's creed origins Let's see, some other big titles, Crackdown 3, Dead Rising 4, Dishonored 2, Doom, The Elder Scrolls, uh, Skyrim Special Edition, Uh, let's see, uh, FIFA 18, Final Fantasy 15, and let's see, For Honor, Forza Motorsport 7, Gears of War 4, Ghost Recon Wildlands, Halo Wars 2, Injustice 2, Killer Instinct, Madden NFL 2018. And uh, I think those are pretty much the gist of uh, the big, big name titles. Resident Evil 7, I guess, is on there as well. Um, So those are the games that are going to be just shifting resolutions up to 4K and that's it. So they're not adding any new assets or any other performance or enhancements to take advantage of the Xbox One X. Now, going beyond just resolution, there's the actual the games that are actually enhanced for the xbox one x specifically and this could be anything from better frame rates longer draw distances you know shorter load times between levels Uh, More complex environments, so, so completely different assets that are built specifically for the extra power that the Xbox One X has. Now these games will be specifically labeled as Xbox One X enhanced. So in other words, the games that I just mentioned previously, those are just games that are having the capability to run at 4K added. So they won't necessarily be labeled as Xbox One X enhanced. Now for the Xbox One X enhanced titles, which this is really what most people who look to buy a One X would probably be interested in, you have uh, some titles already announced there as well. And you have Dishonored, Death of the Outsider. Uh, We have The Elder Scrolls Online. We have Elite Dangerous, F1 2017, Fable Fortune, Fallout 4, Firewatch, Forza Horizon 3, Gears of War 4, Halo 5, Guardians, Halo Wars 2, Uh, We have Hitman, the complete first season. We also have uh, Killing Floor 2, Life is Strange Before the Storm. Uh, Let's see. Mafia 3, Middle Earth, Shadow of War. That's a big one. Uh, Need for Speed Payback. Um, And Project Cars 2, which is another big one. Quantum Break is being updated with full uh, Xbox One X enhancements, which is, uh, that might be really interesting because I thought that game could actually benefit from being beefed up graphically a little bit um and recore which was a uh, you know a halfway decent game from uh, microsoft studios uh, star wars battlefront 2 which could look incredible on the 1x tom clancy's the division will also look much better on the 1x probably pushing it to look a lot more like it did on pc and um the witcher 3 wild hunt so um so there are some games announced to take advantage of the xbox 1x hardware with specific enhancements like 4k hdr better assets and all of these assets will be downloaded separately so in other words when you buy a game that's xbox uh 1x enhanced it will come in its normal xbox one or 1s form and then it, when it detects that you're running it on an xbox 1x it will then go online and download these probably rather large uh, updates that provide all of the extra higher resolution textures the extra geometry assets if that's included and anything else to update the game to fully take advantage of the xbox one x hardware now um you know, for me, I think that uh, I'll probably pick one up on day one, just because uh, I I would want to be able to give you guys um, and anybody else that I do review information for a full my full perspective on it. But um, I think for most consumers, I, I could probably see myself recommending a wait and see approach, unless you're in the market for a new Xbox One. Uh, console now. Let's say you're a PS4 Pro owner and you've never purchased any of the versions of the Xbox One, um, maybe now's the time to do it. Uh, Or perhaps maybe if you just recently bought a 4K television that has HDR capabilities and all that and you still have just the original Xbox One and you never upgraded to the S, then I could see possibly a person like that being a good fit as well. If you're still using a 1080p TV or if you have a 4K TV but you've already upgraded to the Xbox One S, um, it gets a little bit harder to recommend, at least in in that first uh, that launch window, when you're trying to figure out exactly how good these games are going to perform and look, and if that's enough to make it worthwhile. So, um, that's my perspective on the Xbox One X. I think that it's it's an interesting it's an interesting time that we're in because it's the first time in my lifetime that we've had all of these mid-generation upgrades taking place, and I just wonder what the limit is for most. Consumers out there on how much of this they're willing to take and how many upgrades they're willing to make without actually making the leap to the next generation. So uh, I'm curious as to what kind of impact this is going to have on the gaming industry as a whole. Because um, if we're if we're now going on the third iteration of the current generation consoles, then um, how long are they going to wait before going to the next generation? Because uh, I got to think that um, you know people are going to be tired of spending money uh, on on these these latest greatest versions of every console so um let me know what you guys think you can find me on social media at gadget reason and leave me some comments uh, on any of those platforms if you have some thoughts about this topic otherwise if you're listening to this via the anchor station you can obviously leave me a comment or call in right here on this segment Alright, so the last topic that I wanted to talk about today was the recent announcement from Microsoft about the Surface Book uh, 2. So um, I had a couple of thoughts and some, some things I wanted to share about my perspective on the Surface Book 2 as a, as, a, as a standalone product, even if you weren't comparing it to anything else, but also comparing it to the other sort of top tier crop of mobile computing devices like the MacBook Pros of the world and, and devices like that now when it comes to talking about laptops one of the things that i always tell anybody who's asking my opinion or or anybody wants to know what i think about this laptop or that laptop is there's a couple of things you have to keep in mind for about 60 to 70 percent of the population out there a laptop is their sole computing device so For many people, when they buy a new computer every two to three years, they're buying a laptop and that's the computer that they use for for everything. Now, if you're someone like me or any other um, content creator or or graphics professional, audio engineering professional, um, 3D modeling professional, any of those people, you probably have a full-blown workstation of some sort that you sit at your desk with your Wacom tablet and all your other goodies. And that is your main computing device and your laptop is really a secondary device. If you fall into that category or if you don't, that, that plays a big role into what your expectations are and what your needs are for a, a laptop and how much you're willing to spend on it and you know what size screen you want it to be and all of that. If you're someone like me and you do have a full-blown alternative graphics station or, or a, I should say, I'm sorry, a computer workstation that is your main computer, then you probably want something that's thin and light and easy to carry around as your secondary you know, computer and for that reason for the past several years I have only had my iPad Pro as my secondary device my mobile device and that's because I could probably count on one hand the number of times in the past year that I've thought to myself you know darn it I wish I had a MacBook Pro right now most of the time I can get just about everything I want to get done on my iPad Pro or at the very least I can get started with it on my iPad Pro and then finish it off when I get back to my computer now with all that being said Here's where where my thoughts on the Surface uh, the Surface Book 2 land. When the first Surface Book was announced, I thought it was an incredible product. I was almost ex- as excited during the the uh, keynote for the Surface Book as I would be for any other Apple keynote that I've ever seen. It was incredible. It had so many features that I had been hoping Apple would put into their next uh, crop of MacBooks, and they didn't, of course. But even at that time, though the the apple the latest apple macbooks with the touch bars hadn't even been announced yet so we were still on the really old macbooks at that time and so i was really tempted to buy a surface book the reasons why i didn't were pretty simple it was two two main factors one i hate that hinge i don't like the little accordion looking hinge and i hate that there's an open gap in the actual closed surface book when it's closed i I don't like that it's shaped like a wedge and it has that hole that goes through where where it's not completely closed it looks like i don't like it i just think that's the one design flaw that i just can't get used to the other thing was i was really disappointed that um, they had basically two different versions of the surface book one that the basically the base station that has the keyboard and all that in it that you clip it into didn't really do anything except add um extra battery life and, and obviously give it a keyboard but um but it didn't do anything else and in order to get the one that actually did something which was it gave it an actual nvidia graphics gpu a discrete gpu instead of using the uh, the intel graphics chip um that was that was really expensive to get that upgrade i thought that microsoft should have had both versions this you know the, the cheaper version and the higher-end version have a, a dedicated graphics gpu and maybe just made the larger more expensive one have a, a better a better version and that's exactly what microsoft has done this year so the fact that both versions and the fact that it comes in a 13 and a 15 inch version and the fact that they both have some some form of graphics accelerated dedicated discrete gpu is amazing because now you have a device that not only looks like it functions really well as a mobile graphics device something that you can use for Illustrator, Photoshop, probably even ZBrush and some 3D sculpting type stuff. So so graphic designers and artists will definitely be attracted to the Surface Book 2. But if you happen to be sitting in your hotel room board or you're stuck at the airport or whatever, and you want to do some gaming, now you have a device that has a dedicated graphics card that can actually do some modern PC gaming. And uh, when you combine that with the great display and the updates to windows that have fixed a lot of the DPI scaling issues that were very persistent in the previous versions of not only the, the surface book, but the, uh, the surface pro three, the surface pro four, I struggled with all those devices. I've owned them all. And the, the thing that I struggled with was the, the DPI scaling just never fit right when using products like Photoshop, for example. So when you look at all these things coming together, it looks like this is truly the, the sort of, um uh, I guess the, the perfect evolution of the Surface Book or the Surface line into something that looks like it's incredibly useful, uh, but also can be used for fun and gaming and all that other stuff. Now, you know, obviously the things to love about the Surface Book over say another product like a MacBook Pro, for example, is the fact that, you know, it has basically four modes that you could really use this thing in. You've got your laptop mode, um, which, you know, it's not not completely lost on me. The fact that it has 17 hours of battery life when it's docked into its keyboard, um, that's incredible. I, I wonder how much of that is true, but um, I'm sure it gets better battery life than what most people expect from, uh, you know, the average laptop. Um, but working in laptop mode, you've got a trackpad, a keyboard, you know, you pretty much use it in, in all the ways you would expect to use any other laptop. In tablet mode, you know, you, you rip off the display and you've got this incredible Pixel Sense display um, that allows you to use this thin lightweight device with either a Core i5 or Core i7 processor in it that's still running full-blown Windows. Um, and you can use it for drawing applications, you know, sketching applications, using it in ZBrush in its tablet format. Um, Although you don't have the keyboard shortcuts at that point would still be really cool. Um, I think that it it makes for a really productive type of device. Studio mode, um, obviously just fold the keyboard behind you and you can draw and sketch uh, comfortably just like the same way you would on say a Wacom tablet. And then you can incorporate the surface dial and the surface pen and you've got a great little mobile uh, graphic design workstation. And then viewing mode, so basically just uh, detaching the screen, flip it around and now you have uh, basically this great way to watch movies or to uh, maybe even show a presentation or whatever. So Microsoft has done a great job of showing, showcasing all the different ways that you can use the surface book in a way that you just can't typically use a traditional laptop. Here's where we get into the meat of the, of of the, of the value proposition here. Now I'm going to tell you right now that from my perspective, I would throw out the 13.5 inch core I five base model, just right off the bat. I would toss that one aside. I don't really know who would be interested in, getting that particular version. I guess there might be a small percentage of the population that maybe wants something a little bit upgraded from say the Microsoft Surface laptop, but the Surface laptop is 999 and it has just about everything that you're gonna get out of the 13.5 inch uh, Core i5, um, you know, Surface Book. So for me, value-wise, I would toss that one aside. I think that uh, when you get into the 13.5 inch Core i7 version, which is obviously gonna give you a lot more power for running pro applications, um, the base model starts at 1999 with 256 gigabytes of solid-state storage, 8 gigabytes of RAM, and a GTX 1050 GPU with 2 gigabytes of video memory. So um, that's a great starting point. 1999 is a good price. I think it's a very competitive price point for what you're getting. But keep in mind that if you bump that up to the 2499 price tag, you get double the solid-state storage, so 512, double the RAM at 16 gigabytes but with the same gpu so that i'll leave to you know you to figure out i don't know if if 500 dollars is worth the the extra storage and ram but what i will tell you is where things get really interesting is when you go up to the 15 inch models and the base 15 inch model core i7 quad core version has a 256 gigabyte solid state drive but it does bump things up to the full 16 gigabytes of ram and it has a gtx 1060 and bumps the video memory all the way up to six gigabytes and that one comes in at 24.99 also and that's where i think the pricing is a little off here so basically at that price i can't see how i could possibly recommend that someone get the mid-tier 13 inch model over the base model 15 inch core i7 and the reason why i said that is because they're the same price. And the only thing you're sacrificing is the extra storage, but you're gaining a graphics card that blows the doors off the base GTX 1050 with two gigabytes of RAM. And you're getting the same 16 gigabytes of memory. So unless you just really need a small 13 inch more compact sized laptop, I really couldn't see why anybody would take the, the mid tier Uh, 13 inch model so for me uh looking at the pricing and the the breakdown of the specs i think that the sweet spot here is the 15 inch core i7 uh entry level model at 24.99 so um you know that's the one that i would probably be interested in myself and that's the one that i would probably recommend to most people because it seems like the best overall value the the mid-tier uh 15 inch model goes all the way to 28.99 for just doubling the storage, everything else is the same. It gets five, five twelve gigabytes of solid state and that's it. And then if you go with the one terabyte uh, storage model, it goes up to 3299. So I'm for me personally, I would just make whatever sacrifices I needed to in terms of limiting how much stuff I install on on my machine to be able to uh, manage uh, with 256 gigabytes. Plus, when you take into account, you have, you know, SD cards and you have, you know, portable hard drives and so many other options for storage cloud storage. I think that 256 is is more than enough for me for a secondary computer. Now, if it's your main computer, that might be something you'd have to consider getting larger storage. So, um, so yeah, so that's that's the breakdown for the Surface Book. Uh, I'm really I'm really interested to see how well it performs in in real world use so for that reason i probably will not be pre-ordering one of these i think i'll probably wait until i can go into the uh, the microsoft store near me here and and see how it performs with um, applications like photoshop or with any other 3d applications and so um, you know i i don't think i'd be willing to take the risk just because my experience with the uh, microsoft surface pro 3 and 4 was a little disappointing i didn't get the same expect uh the same performance expectations that i got from say my my 5k imac or even other macbook pros that i've used in the past uh there was a lot of issues and the dpi scaling issue was obviously a big one for me previously and i think that that's been fixed but um i think for me the the performance thing i i need to see it in person because if it doesn't handle things like zbrush for 3d modeling and sketching if it can't handle super snappy performance in doing some kind of uh, design work in Photoshop or Illustrator, um, then it really wouldn't be worth it for me. So I definitely need to see how well it performs under load, under real world um, you know, uses before I'd be fully convinced. But um, it's looking like right now, even though I hate that stupid hinge, I think that I'm gonna be leaning more towards getting a new Surface Book 2 than a MacBook Pro. Um, Apple just didn't do enough with the uh, their more recent upgrades or updates to the, uh, the MacBook line to um, to make this worthwhile for me. So, um, for my purposes and the things I enjoy doing, I think that the Surface Book 2 is probably going to be the way to go. So, I'll keep you guys posted on that once. I have had a chance to get some hands-on time with it. So in the meantime, let me know what you guys think. If you're a Mac user out there and you've been uh, turned off by the fact that Mac seems, that Apple seems to be um, not meeting the expectations of pro level users and and uh, people in the arts and design community the way they used to, then uh, let me know what your thoughts are on the Surface Book 2. And if you would consider possibly giving it a shot, And if you're a Windows user, let me know what you think. Uh, Do you think this is gonna be the, uh, the standard with which we measure all laptops for the foreseeable future? Definitely leave me a comment or call in and let me know your thoughts. And that's gonna do it for today's episode of The Tech Perspective. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And thanks to everybody who's continued to tune into uh, the Gadget Reason radio station here on Anchor or subscribing to the podcast over the past couple of months. I hope you enjoyed the content today. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions, anything you'd like to add to the stuff that we talked about in today's episode, you can either leave me a comment or call in if you're listening via Anchor, if you're listening via the podcast, or if you just don't feel like doing that, you can hunt me down on all social media platforms at Gadget Reason and leave me some comments there. Otherwise, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and thanks for tuning in. I will talk to you guys tomorrow with the tech download. Have a great afternoon.